Welcome back to oh, who's doing it? Oh, who's going to go? <laughs> go for it, Liam. Oh, welcome back to the breakfast show. We have come time. We, I was about to announce a new uh, a new clue for the quiz, but we had a winner. Congratulations to Chris from uh, from uh, around the Newcastle area. He uh, correctly guessed Adam, so it means we've got the next clue for. Uh, we've got a brand new quiz. Again, this is a Who Am I quiz. All right, so see if you can get this one, Lyle. In Luke. Chapter 3, verse 38, I am called the Son of God. In Luke chapter 3, verse 28, I am called the Son of God. Who is this? If you think you know who the answer is, give us a call at 1-800-324-843 or you can send us a text at 0491-064-669 and if you are the person with... <laughs> if you are the first person with the correct answer, you're going to be getting... Getting a, a, a prize, and Lyle got it. We just had a bit of a giggle over the answer. Cause, um, anyway, <laughs> if you know what the answer is, give us a call. What announcements have we got, Lyle? Well, a little bit of a giggle may have, um, may have been a clue in and of itself. But anyway, uh, <laughs> announcements. Let's talk about what's happening tonight. Tonight we have another The End Continues. Um, we are talking about. Let me just pull up. What you know we that are uh, that about. sentence in itself. It doesn't sound very coherent. It doesn't sound like you're the end making continues. much. No. <laughs> Tonight is the end. But believe me, it does make sense when you know what we're talking about. The end. Digital at eight pm. Uh, you, after you've put the kids to bed, after you've had okay, dinner. Okay. And Sharissa will be talking about the end you've been looking for. How will the world end? The coming finale of human history that will not disappoint. Find out today how you can be ready for the end. You've been looking for Indeed. so this will be the this will be the good end the end that we really really want, and that is tonight's subject. Sharissa will be bringing it to you. It's going to be an amazing presentation. I've seen the highlights already, so uh, this is something to really look forward. It will premiere at eight pm. Do join us there. Uh, Sharissa and myself will be on Facebook and YouTube to answer any questions that you ask, and of course we will be coming back on Friday to do live question and answer time working together right there on the end.digital. Okay, so you can get, you can watch us on uh, the end.digital YouTube, Facebook or the website. Just type in the end.digital and you'll find it. That's right. And of course Matt Parra and myself will be back again this Saturday morning 9:30 10:30 for small group interactive Bible study, so do join us there to have your say. Not sure how much longer that one will continue as churches start to reopen. So Watch this space. We'll keep you updated. We will indeed. All right. Let's get into our Bible study today. We are looking at the Bible and history, and I am absolutely loving this week. We're going to talk about Assyria and the Assyrians, and we're going to talk about Hezekiah and Sennacherib and the war that was fought between them and what the Bible says, and we're going to compare it with, well, what Sennacherib himself said. Okay, so... Isaiah chapter 36, verse 1 to 3. Liam, that's where we're going to start. Isaiah 36, verse 1 to 3 says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib, is that how you pronounce it? Sennacherib. Sennacherib. King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquered them. Then the king of Assyria sent his chief of staff from Lachish, uh, with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians took up a position beside the adequate that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. These are the officials who went out to meet with them 
uh, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joa, son of Asaph, the royal historian. Okay, so to give a little bit of background as to what is happening here, we need to have some historical background um, as to what is taking place. Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, had been attacked by a coalition of the nation of Israel. So you've got to understand that these are kings of the nation of Judah. So it's the divided nation. You've got ten tribes in the north, which are called Israel. You've got two tribes in the south, which are called Judah. And the nation of Israel in the north made an alliance with the Syrians, not the Assyrians, but the Syrians. And they attacked the nation of Judah. And so to, you know, to hold off this attack, uh, what Ahaz did was form an alliance with the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were a very large empire. They were a world empire. They were the dominant empire in the world. It's a little bit like forging an alliance with the United States. Mm. Uh, they are a very, very nice big brother to hang, have hanging around when you are being attacked, but they could also turn into a very, very, very nasty masters once you have an alliance with them. And so he bought a foreign army um, of, of Tiglath-Pileser III of the Assyrian Empire, and as a part of that deal, he then had to supply mercenaries to Tiglath-Pileser III and swear loyalty to the Assyrians and to their gods. This was what they required. So he does that and he builds an Assyrian altar in the temple of God in Jerusalem. Uh, so this is pretty you know, um, terrible stuff. He makes his sons to pass through the fire. Um, the prophets of God speak out against him and say, hey, you should have trusted God instead of inviting the Assyrians into the region. Uh, the Assyrians come into the region. They defend Israel as their, sorry, they defend Judah as their allies. And under Shalmaneser, they deport at least half of the nation of Israel. Just deport it. Uh, they become the 10 lost tribes. They're forgotten, gone, finished over and disappear into the ether. And so in many respects, what happens is that Israel is the... The southern border of Israel, which borders against Judah, has been annexed by Assyria, and Judah has this alliance with Assyria, and this is the southernmost outpost of the Assyrian Empire. And uh, the Assyrians kind of look at, you know, Judah, Palestine, Israel, the Levant, etc., as being a buffer zone between them and the other great world empire, which, of course, is... Egypt. It's a little bit like if the United States and China had a land border. If you can imagine that, they would like to have a few nations in between them to create a bit of a buffer zone You'd imagine so, so they weren't staring down rifle barrels at each other over you know, the, an imaginary line drawn in the sand, so to speak. Yeah. It would, it would ease tensions if there was a buffer zone. And for the Assyrians, this eased tensions with the Egyptians because the Egyptians have to fight their way up through these buffer nations before they reach the Assyrian heartland. And so that's kind of how they're looking at it. However, what it has done is that it has turned Judah into a pagan nation that is worshipping Assyrian gods. And when Hezekiah comes to power, he brings about a great reformation. He breaks his alliance with Assyria and says, no, we have a god, a god who is Yahweh, who is a real god. Uh, the Assyrian gods actually 
you know they're not even gods they're just things made out of wood and stone and uh you know gold and silver and brass and iron and they're not gods but we actually have a real god who is the creator god so why should we have an alliance with assyria why should we be worshiping assyrian gods let's go with the most powerful god and as a result of that and breaking his alliance well if the assyrians let that go unpunished What's it going to look like for them? They are the world's superpower, and suddenly they've got a micro-nation on the outskirts of their border, one of the outer outposts, who has rebelled against them, and they don't get punished. So therefore, what's to stop anyone else from rebelling? And their empire could easily fall apart. And so they send an army south. And uh, this army is an army like the world has never, ever seen before. Uh, because, well, let's let's think about some bit of Assyrian uh, background. Um, the Assyrians had begun as a small, you know, trading town in the city of Asher. Uh, they grew to be, you know, the greatest empire the world had seen to that date. They were not known for diplomacy, although there were occasions when they did conduct very good diplomacy. Um, the favourite line used by Assyrian kings when they were making their inscriptions and writing their history, which wasn't history, it was just a record of uh, victories, as we've talked about before. The favourite line that they repeatedly used over and over and over again was, I destroyed, devastated and burned with fire. That was what they just kept saying over and over and over again. This was this was their form of diplomacy. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so the, in the Syrian world, the Assyrians were the uh, only empire at that time that had a professionally trained standing army. So all other nations, Egypt included, which was the other big superpower, had an army that they would call into the field that was basically a civilian army. So it was basically, you know, whatever you were... And whatever skills you had, you took to battle with you. So if you were a farmer, you took your farming skills to battle. If you were an artisan, you took your artisan skills to battle. If you were a university lecturer, well, you didn't really have any skills to take, skills to, take to battle. You just took a sword and hoped for the best. Uh, whereas the Assyrians were wealthy enough that they could actually fund and support a standing army and a standing army that could train on a daily basis. So they had a professionally trained standing army. They had iron weapons. They had advanced engineering skills. They had effective tactics. They were masters of um, siege warfare. They relied on mass deportation. So their policy was conquer a nation, deport the entire population of that nation somewhere else, and basically what they would do is they would swap, swap people around within the empire. So they'd take you know, the nation of Israel and they'd deport them to somewhere in Assyria. They'd take the, the, the people from somewhere in Assyria and plant them in Israel. And by mixing everybody up like this, what it, what it effectively did was it diluted the will to fight back because now you're not fighting for your own nation, you're not fighting for your own country, you're not fighting with home ground advantage, you're fighting to defend what? Your land. Well, nothing. Nothing, because nothing. You, yeah, you're, you're in a foreign land. And so this was a really effective um, uh, strategy that they had. 
Were they fighting to defend their, I guess, their own dignity? Well, you could, but, you know, when you deport an entire nation, they lose their will to fight. It's as simple as that. Um, complete and utter ruthlessness combined with extreme violence was the Assyrian policy and the way the Assyrians uh, went to war. And Hezekiah is ruling a micronation. The border, the Assyrian border is a couple of kilometers from the city of Jerusalem. And he rebels. This is a little bit like uh, New Zealand taking on the United States. You know, and the US would come down there and like, yeah, we'll take New Zealand back. Let's do it Wednesday afternoon. You know, that's kind of <laughs> how it would be. Um, and Hezekiah is well aware that he has God on his side. He is also well aware that God works with those who work with who who do what they can, and so he rebels against the Assyrians and prepares his defenses and defends the city. Okay. All right, so that brings us up to the story that we are going to share right here. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 37. We're going to start reading in verse... Uh, well, let's, let, let's, actually, let's go back. Let's go back to Isaiah 36. Let's review these verses. Isaiah chapter 36. Where were we? And the Bible says, just reminding ourselves, came to pass in the 14th year of Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh, that's the cupbearer, from Lachish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the king's highway in the fuller's field. And so the Rabshakeh, or the cupbearer, he comes up there and he is going to have a conversation with Hezekiah and say, look, we're going to smash you guys into smithereens. You know, one thing I love about uh, this little passage here is the detail they put into the specific location. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt in where it was, you know. That's right. They're not making stuff up to here. They're recording history. No, it's like somebody is... is they're under the spotlight. They're under the. They're in the hot seat. They have to put in without a shadow of a doubt that this is where they are, and make the readers and the people they're telling this to believe that as well. Okay, so the Rabshakeh has come from Lakish, and he's come with a very great army, and they've already took forty odd uh, Judean cities, and they are the Assyrians, and they are terrifying because you know they committed war crimes on a mass scale and then proudly published those war crimes on great billboards right across the empire. You know, things like this one. This is uh, Tiglath-Pileser III. This is the guy This is the guy that Ahaz made an alliance with. How would you like to make an alliance with this guy? He's talking about one of the uh, cities that he conquered. He says, Their king I hung up in front of the gate of his city on a stake. His land, his wife, his sons, his daughters, his property, the treasure of his palace, palace I carried off. I trampled down like a threshing sledge all of its people and its goods I took to Assyria. You know, he's certainly not someone that you would want to be an enemy of. No, 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 no. He's a nasty character. Um, Let me see. I've got one here from Sennacherib himself. Here we go. Here's Sennacherib. Um, So this is the guy that uh, Hezekiah is up against. He says, I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their 
precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. My prancing steeds harnessed for my riding plunged into the streams of their blood as into a river. The reels of my war chariot, which brings low the wicked and the evil, were bespattered with blood and filth. With the bodies of their warriors, I filled the plain like grass. Their testicles I cut off and tore out their privates like seeds of cucumbers. It's a bit strong for uh, the breakfast show, isn't it? Okay, but this is the guy that Hezekiah (laughs) is up against, and he has a massive army camped right there beside Jerusalem, and he sends the Rabshakeh, who is his highest court official, to come and have a conversation with him and say, hey, look, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, that would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Oh, without a doubt. Well, hearing the things that they that they do, if, if, if the people that they were coming to knew about those, I'd be terrified. Yeah, your knees would smite together just like... Uh, Cross your legs and um, just hope whoo. that they you, you can run fast enough away and, oh, that's not something you want to be messed up with. No, okay, so let's go over to... Uh, um, uh, let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 37 now, and we'll start reading in verse 14. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this before prayer before the Lord. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting here that the army for a, a rab, the, rab, the Rabshakeh has, has, is in the process of moving, moving up from Lachish. And so basically what is happening is that the siege in Lachish is coming to an end. And what we have just read here described is, is the fate that is about to fall on any, everyone in Lachish. Um, Lachish has been relatively well excavated. And what is remarkable is one of the best preserved... Um, pieces of engineering that they found in Lakish is the siege ramp that the Assyrians built. Really? They built a siege ramp that was better quality than the city itself. Wow. You know, these guys are masters of engineering. And uh, all around and inside the ruins of Lakish, obviously you've got an ash layer that's very, very thick from where they burned the city, but there's just hundreds of arrowheads, sling stones. Um, there is evidence of an uh, of a of a battle of absolute unmitigated violence that took place there, and Hezekiah is seeing all of this, and you know his 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 nation is suffering. There's no question about it. This would be his, quite his nation. You know he has turned back to God, and he's turned his nation back to God as much as he can. But you know, after generations of paganism, there's going to be lots of these cities. They're like, yeah, we, well, yeah, we know Hezekiah is is doing his thing, worshiping Yahweh, but we're quite happy worshiping Assyrian, worshiping Assyrian gods. This would be quite the uh, the place to go to. It's just incredible that the imagery that you're, you're yeah. putting. And uh, you know, one of the um, one of the one of the pieces of broken pottery that they found had a message just scribbled on the outside of it, and you know, it was a message to the defenders of Lachish. Uh, from observers in the mountains who are saying, you know, we no longer see the fires of, you know, such and such a city, uh, indicating that that one has fallen. 
and asking how their defenses were going there in the city of Lachish. And you just sort of, it just sort of feels like you're reaching back in time. You're reading these inscriptions and you're seeing the horror of what is taking place. And it's almost like you're just, you're shaking hands with somebody from the past. Remarkable stuff. Okay, let's. Uh, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get into the story in the next uh, little section because Absolutely. this is just like the most amazing story you will ever read anywhere in the Bible. But you can understand why Hezekiah is absolutely terrified and distraught, and why he turns to God. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, let's get back to the story of Hezekiah and Sennacherib and the showdown that is taking place between Yahweh, the God of Judah, and the Assyrian gods. Of course, the Assyrians have nothing to worry about because they've conquered the world. And, you know, Judah is a, I mean, Jerusalem is a brute of a fortress, but nothing that they can't handle. Okay, so uh, the Bible says that Hezekiah goes to the temple and prays. And you've got quite a um, lengthy prayer here. But let's, be, let's pick up the story in verse 21. Uh, if you could read for us verse 21. Verse then, 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent the message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you prayed about King Sennacherib of Assyria, the Lord has spoken this word against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head and derision as you flee. In okay, whoa, 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 whoa. See, here you got this micronation that is scoffing and laughing at this world superpower. Okay, Indeed. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. But your messengers, you have defied the Lord. But by your messengers, you have defied the Lord. You have said, with many, with my many chariots, I have conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I have reached its farthest heights and explored its deepest forests. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water. With the sole of my foot, I stopped up all the rivers of Egypt but you have not heard I dis- but have you not heard I decided this long ago long ago I planned it and now I am making it happen I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble this is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused they are as weak as grass as easily trampled as tender green shoots they are like grass sprouting into housetop scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well, where you stay. And when you come and go, I know the way you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I've heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year you will eat only what grows by it, what grows up by itself. The next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend to vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of this siege, will put roots down in your own soil and grow up and f- flourish. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem, a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Powerful passage right here. 
Basically, what God does is he speaks to the Assyrians, he speaks to Hezekiah, and he lays down the gauntlet. Okay, Assyrian gods, you think that, uh, or Assyrians, you think that your gods have been doing all of this? No, they haven't. I'm the one who is in control of everything God says, and you've been ascribing it to your gods when it actually belongs to me. He says, uh, and, and, and moreover, I like what he says, I know your abode and you're going out. In other words, I know where you live. You know, it's quite the threat there that God hands out to the ears. I know where you live. That has become. We've been talking quite a lot about phrases. And you come today. after you come after <laughs> uh, you come after my people, and I'm going to be coming after you. It's amazing the amount of things that we say in today's day and age that originated back in the Bible. Indeed, indeed. Okay, and what is also interesting is where he says, you know, I'm going to put my hook in your nose. And my bridle in your lips and will turn you back by the way which you came. Now, if you were Sennacherib and you have conquered the world and you have just taken city after city after city after city, even in Judea, and a message comes to you from Isaiah the prophet that says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a hook in your nose and I'm going to drag you back the way that you came. You know, that would be incredibly humiliating, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you can imagine that Sennacherib would be most upset by having a message like this, and this would uh, be highly motivating for him to go up to Jerusalem and show the Judeans exactly what the might of Assyria could accomplish. However, let's keep reading right here, and let's see, then see what happens. We'll cover some history. All right, so verse 33. 33. And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord, for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. I will defend this city and protect it. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses Everywhere. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Let's just stop right there before we go any further. When the Rabbishavka comes to Jerusalem, the Assyrians have not yet laid siege to the city. No. There is a very large Assyrian army in the vicinity of Jerusalem, and the Rabshakeh's idea is to be able to take the city of Jerusalem with as little battle as possible. And so basically what he can do is he can say, okay, look what happened to the last 40-odd cities. Look what just happened to Lachish. Okay, you think you've got a very well-defended city here in Jerusalem, but you're actually better off just to surrender to us. Now, if he surrenders, of course, then the horrors of the Assyrians are going to be meted out upon them. They're going to become slaves. The royalty and the leadership are going to be executed very, very slowly and very, very painfully. And right across the empire, they're going to build you know, very large inscriptions and billboards, ancient billboards, so to speak, with pictures of you know, Hezekiah and his royal court you know, having their hands and their feet cut off and their eyes put out and being impaled on stakes, etc., etc., etc. This was the Assyrian method. They were terrorists. Um, it was institutionalized terrorism that the Assyrians had created and enacted. And so, um, so, and so, you know, it's not going to be good for Hezekiah, but it will be better. At least there will be people who will be alive. 
And so this is what the Rabshaker is proposing. Look, surrender to me. Things are going to go bad for Hezekiah, but you people that are defending the wall, because he speaks to the people specifically on the wall of the city, he says, you know, hand over Hezekiah and his leadership and... Um, and you and you might get away from this with your lives. You're going to be raped and pillaged and murdered and sold off as slaves, but you're going to live. And that's a pretty good alternative when you see what we just did to Lachish. Okay, so that's that's where they are at, and God's like, they're not going to build a mound of dirt against this city. They're not going to build a siege ramp. They're not even going to shoot an arrow at this city. And that's exactly what happens because the Bible says that the angel of the Lord went out and killed 186,000 men and Sennacherib turned around, turned on his heels and went straight home by the way that he had come. And what is most interesting is to read Sennacherib's description because he writes a description of this invasion. This is what Sennacherib writes on the walls of his palace. 46 strong-walled towns and innumerable smaller villages I besieged and conquered. As for Hezekiah, the awful splendor of my lordship overwhelmed him. I took as plunder 350 people, small and great, male and female, along with a great number of animals, including horses, mules, donkeys and camels, oxen and sheep. As for Hezekiah, I shut him up like a caged bird in his royal city of Jerusalem. And there he stops. Finishes. That's an interesting statement right there. Because that is Sennacherib's best way of describing he was totally defeated. Um, and so if you go to his palace, you'll find that Lachish is prominently de- depicted in Nineveh, the Assyrian capital. Jerusalem is not found on the palace walls. Sennacherib could boast only of his defeat of Lachish. The showdown between God of heaven and the gods of the Assyrians demonstrated the deliverance of his people. 